0: You're listening to special programming sponsored by Stovall and Associates Law Firm. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada
1: System of Higher Education. Good morning. This is Vegas Law Talk. Uh, This is Leslie Stovall. And today I have the pleasure of having the Nevada Attorney General, Aaron Ford, as a guest. And it's a real pleasure, Uh, Mr. Ford. How are you today? I am fantastic. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Today is, uh, uh, we're in sort of the middle of the uh, election season, it seems to me. You are standing for re-election as the Attorney General of Nevada.
0: That's right. That's right. It's not quite the middle for me. I've been running for re-election for uh, a long time right now. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in a sprint toward the finish line.
1: The primaries uh, for your office uh, are set for what date? The primaries are June 14th. And uh, I know you'll come through the primaries. Uh, you're an excellent candidate. And it's, well, your lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the general election, uh, when is that set for? That's going to be November the 8th. Now are you facing any uh, uh, opposition in the, on the Democratic ticket?
0: I have a, uh, a primary against mm-hmm. the gentleman who ran against me for this seat, um, I guess three years and a few, uh, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's running against, uh, the same guy's running against me now, so I have a primary.
1: Well I think you'll get through the primary, I don't think uh, that's uh, uh, going to be an issue. Uh, you have uh, opponents in the uh, general election. Uh, they. Both of those uh, individuals, this is a position that requires uh, a licensed attorney, is that correct?
0: It does now. It did not four years ago in Iran. And in fact, the gentleman who ran against me four years ago does not have a bar license. And so uh, we'll see uh, what that means relative to his appearance on the ballot this time. But yes, right now you have to have a bar license.
1: You know, it's an interesting story. Uh, You can go uh, out in rural Nevada and and find uh, justices of the peace who are not uh, lawyers. That's right. A lot of them are uh, retired law enforcement, like Highway Patrol, for Mm -hmm. example. Uh, and uh, then uh, uh, we used to have a city attorney here uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, not in Las Vegas, I'm sorry, in North Las Vegas. His name was George Franklin. okay, uh, And uh, he uh, was city attorney up there for years and years. Uh, uh, was not a lawyer. Well, I, I don't remember. I don't think he was or he did not go through law school and uh, uh, came into practice. Uh, uh, but those were a long time ago, yeah, you know? Yeah, So uh, I was uh, really um, interested in your background. I did not realize uh, that you hold a doctorate in education. Uh, could you tell uh, our listeners how that uh, came about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, and I patted myself on the back, but I have um, several degrees and m- most of them are in education. I used to be a teacher uh, before I was a lawyer. Uh, mm-hmm. Went to undergraduate school. Studied math education with a minor in Spanish, and uh, when I graduated undergrad, um, I became a teacher. My first teaching job was down in Austin, Texas, at a middle school. Um, I, when I went to my first graduate school, I taught school in Virginia, Northern Virginia, uh, and then when I went to Ohio State to get uh, to, to continue, to continue my education there, I taught school there as well. So education has been in my background for a long time, and in fact. Uh, With my PhD in education, my initial intent was to open up charter schools, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, an international system of charter schools. As I say, I speak Spanish. And so what I wanted to do was open up what I called the Carter G. Woodson International School System. Uh, that had uh, schools in uh, stateside that were in inner city um, locations—Dallas, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, Chicago—you name it—with uh, counterparts in Latin America, mm-hmm. uh, and there would be a required study abroad uh, trip during the junior year. I had this whole plan laid out, and so that's what I wanted to do with education: was open up charter schools and uh, um, and require international. Experience in everybody.
1: Well, you know, uh, international travel uh, for young folks is a wonderful thing because they get to see other cultures, they get to see how folks uh, interact exactly uh, in different environment and different uh, political systems and social systems. And
0: that was my experience. Uh, The first time I ever got on an airplane was to go study abroad in Mexico. Uh, I was 21 years old. Uh, I got on a flight in College Station to connect through Houston, headed to um, Mexico City uh, to catch a bus down to Puebla, Mexico, where I studied abroad there. So uh, it's been a fantastic experience. My my, children, my oldest son has studied abroad um, in Venezuela, pardon me, in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful experience.
1: Now, uh Uh, you have a doctorate in uh, education and while you were studying for your doctorate in education you also attended law school
0: i did i did i uh, was attending law school and my phd virtually simultaneously Mm -hmm. Uh, my first year was all phd work Uh, my second and third years were predominantly law school work and then my fourth year of my PhD. My third year of law school was a combination of both where I took classes and wrote my dissertation. Uh, and I graduated in, in 2001 with both my law degree and my PhD.
1: Well, you know, that's quite an accomplishment. Most people I know that are writing a dissertation, uh, it becomes a full-time endeavor. It's uh, anguishing at times. And... <laughs> yeah, well,
0: absolutely, it was anguishing at all times. Uh, and it was like having a full-time job. And I had a full-time job, several in fact, um, not all full-time, but several jobs during that time period because I was also married with with one child and one on the way. So, um we we we've we've experienced a lot in those early years of our of my education
1: well uh it's my understanding you married your high school sweetheart
0: a uh, college sweetheart oh, sorry. right 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 College. She, uh, college I, it's it's an interesting story because i was at a different college than she was but we mm-hmm. were both you know, sweethearts from our respective colleges. She was in law school when I met her. Uh, I was still an undergrad at Texas a and uh, that's actually why I went to Austin and taught school right after I graduated because she was at law school in Texas and uh, at the University of Texas. And so uh, I met her and we, we married a few years later and we've been married 26 years now.
1: How, how did you guys get along if she, you're an a and guy and she's a long You
0: know, I, I told her she married up. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> don't, tell, <laughs> don't, don't play that part on the air, okay? Don't play that part on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to reach back and help though of you know less fortunate,
1: so yeah. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so uh, your lo- your your wife is a lawyer, also. She
0: is. She's a general counsel over at Nevada State College in Henderson.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, I see a lot of students coming out of Nevada State College. Yeah,
0: it's a great institution.
1: Yeah, they're uh, a baccalaureate program essentially, or a school, or do they have a uh, graduate program? Um, right I
0: believe they have some graduate programs as well. I, obviously, they do have baccalaureate degrees in, in several uh, areas as well.
1: Tell me about your legal experience or the listeners about your legal experience? Sure, sure.
0: So I've been practicing law. So this year, we're in 2022 for 21 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of my law practice has been in private practice. Um, My first two years out of law school were as uh, a federal law clerk, uh, mm-hmm. first to a federal district court judge in Detroit,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and then to the reason why I was brought here uh, was to clerk on the Ninth Circuit with Judge Johnny Rawlinson. So,
1: well, I remember uh, Judge Rawlinson when she was at the district attorney's uh-huh, office. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my wife, my wife actually got a clerkship with her first. We were already married at the time and we were interviewing with Judge Rawlinson at the exact same time literally sitting across each other just like you were my, my wife and i was sitting next to each other with mm-hmm. the judge in her chair and she'd ask me a question and say so aaron what do you think about this and i would answer and then she'd say and you Bernard and <laughs> Bernard would answer and then she say, so Bernard what do you think about this and she'd answer and she'd look at me and say and you aaron so it was a back and forth and we both ended up getting job offers my wife uh, to start immediately and me to start after i finished my district court clerkship and so those, those are my first two years of law practice and then I moved into a law firm down in Dallas Texas Mm -hmm. um, practicing school law um, an area that combined my PhD and my law degree representing school districts and universities and and, uh, educational institutions. uh, Were
1: were you doing Title IX work?
0: Absolutely. So my dissertation was on Title IX. My dissertation was on school board liability for student on student sexual harassment under Title IX. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I did Title IX work there um, and then I went over to a larger law firm um, and practiced there for four years three or four years and then we came here here, mm-hmm. uh, came back here in 07. Um, I joined Snell and Wilmer, um, right. became partner there, and I practiced there for around eight years. Um, during that time, I overlapped it with my um, opportunity to serve in the state senate. And um, in 2015 or so, I moved over to Eglet Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, and that was the first time I went to the other side of the V, so to speak. I'd always been on the defense side of the V, representing corporations and things of that sort. And uh, and then I moved over to the plaintiff side and ultimately was elected to this position. Mm-hmm. And I've been uh, practicing law in the public sector, uh, you can say, uh, for the last three years. in in four months.
1: How did you enjoy uh, your term in the state
0: legislature? Oh, thoroughly. I Hmm. really enjoyed that. I mean, I've I've always been drawn to public service in one way or fashion. Again, I was a teacher. That was my first profession, right? Uh, And I've always looked for opportunities to serve the community, and serving in the state senate was a joy of a lifetime. Um, I began as chair of the Energy Resources Committee. Hmm. Um, Two years later, I was elected minority leader in the state senate, and two years after that, I was elected majority leader in the state senate, so... Uh, when I ran for this office, that's the position I held at that time, Majority Leader in twenty uh, in twenty eighteen, and uh, then I was elected. So here
1: we are, and uh, there you will be. I'm certain of it. <laughs> well, you lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. The uh, uh, I'm not sure that uh, many people really understand what a state attorney general's responsibilities are. You know, we see. Uh, articles or stories on national news about the United States Attorney General, Mm -hmm. but the Nevada Attorney General or other states Attorney General, uh, we don't see much uh, coverage and I, I don't know if most listeners really understand what that position requires Mm -hmm. or what your responsibilities are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. uh, You're right about that. A lot of folks don't know what the attorney general does. I can tell you this. I didn't grow up saying I want to be attorney general. (laughs) That wasn't my ambition, right? I didn't know what an attorney general was or or does. And, uh, you know, we know a lot of people know that the attorney general puts people in jail, right? That's part of our job relative to a criminal um, Well, that's the law enforcement. That's the sure. law enforcement component, right? And one of the titles I, I, I share um, with other attorneys general across the nation, generally speaking, is the top law enforcement officer in the state, the top cop, so to speak. Uh, but interestingly, that's only really about 10% of my job. 90% of my job is what I was doing for 20 years before I was elected to this position. And that's civil work, whether it's um, suing an entity or a company uh, such as opioids manufacturers um, and ultimately uh, defending the, the residents of our state against those bad practices. Uh, it's sometimes defending a lawsuit against those who sue the state. Um, I advise. I serve as the top legal advisor to all of the. Um, administrative officers uh, in the state. Well, not all of them, most of them. Um, the governor is my client. The uh, secretary of state's my client. Um, all of the administrative, most of the administrative agencies are my clients. And so we, we do a lot of work in that area as well.
1: Well, and when you talk about administrative agencies, those are also the regulatory agencies like? Um, HHS, right. Department of Corrections,
0: uh, Department of Education. Those mm-hmm. are all my clients. And I have um, 399 or so colleagues of mine uh, who we work with, and we try to do our, our level best to give great Great advice.
1: You mentioned uh, the opioid, uh, I think that's what you were talking Mm -hmm. about, was the opioid uh, claims that were made by the states. Uh, There's been a recent settlement in that case, has there not?
0: Yeah, several, several. And frankly, that's one of the proudest moments uh, that that I've had um, as Attorney General. Um, Let me back up and just quickly tell you that in our office, um, I announced what our job was. I wanted to put it in one word so folks understood what I thought our, our job was. And it's simple our job is justice. And and that's justice for everyone, justice for all. And it's not just uh, the type of justice that manifests itself in an arrest and a conviction. Sometimes it manifests itself in in uh, an exoneration and compensation. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our criminal justice system, for example, is made of people. People are fallible which means our systems are fallible. We can make mistakes and uh, justice requires us to sometimes acknowledge those mistakes. And so as attorney general, I introduced myself to my colleagues as one who viewed justice in its totality. Uh, and and we view justice through what we call my three C's in the office. The first C is consumer protection. Uh, the best example of that is opioids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm proud of the work, the, one of the first things I did when I got into office was to um, expand a lawsuit that had initially only uh, sued one entity um, to include 50 or so other defendants. Um, And we have pursued justice for those who've been afflicted by the opioid epidemic um, through unscrupulous business practices. And we have accomplished five or six settlements or so, um, and amounting to around $320 million. um, And 75 of which, pardon me, about 130 of which has already come in, in the tenure, in the time that I've been here, Um, including last week where I announced about $50 million um, um, having come in and, and we've, we've begun distributing that to our local municipalities and through a, a through a state agencies to help remediate those issues so that's the first c
1: now uh if i understand uh there are more lawsuits pending
0: absolutely there? i have i have a lawsuit that is slated to go to trial uh, right after i begin my second term it'll be in february of 2024 when this tra- pardon me 2023 when this uh, uh trial starts off and we have you know three dozen other defendants four dozen other defendants in that lawsuit to be sure, we're open to settling with them as well um, for for a, an amount that's commensurate with the level of harm that they brought upon the state. But we're we're more than happy to go before a jury um, and and try to hold these these entities and individuals accountable for the um, the, the wrath that is, we've seen out of opioids.
1: The what is the le- legal liability theory that uh, you're pursuing in these opioid uh, cases?
0: Uh, Well, there are several, Um, one of which is the Deceptive Trade Practices Act that we have in our state here that Mm -hmm. says that a lot of the manufacturers uh, were engaging in deceptive trade practices when they were marketing opioids, uh, when they were overprescribing opioids, when they were pumping pills into pill mills. Um, and that ultimately got individuals addicted, they were, um, uh, they, they were downplaying the addictive nature of well, opioids. Well, they're denying
1: addiction. Mm-hmm. They were saying, oh, if, if you have legitimate pain, it's not addictive. And there you
0: go. There you go. And, and that so was the story. There, there were so many different uh, um, issues associated with, with their practices. Uh, and we, we have put forth a, a complaint um, and a case that I think is going to lay bare a lot of the, the, the problems that were um, uh, initiated through the manufacture and sale and distribution of opioids.
1: Yeah, it almost seems like uh, the um, facts supporting uh, a finding of liability have been admitted in many cases. I, I it, it seems like it to me because I see these settlements. But perhaps in the settlement they're avoiding making those admissions.
0: Yeah, you know how settlements go. You know, They neither admit nor, nor deny liability. but uh, um, Here's here's $300 million. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it sounds wonderful uh, work that uh, uh, you've uh, directed your office to do, uh, and um, uh, it's a great benefit to the state. Thank I you. I tried a uh, wrongful death case out in Nye County where a woman had uh, sudden uh, loss of uh, breathing, and it was a combination of opioids and uh, uh, Xanax, which oh, is wow. a benzodiazepam. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the FDA years ago came out, this would have been almost 10 years ago, came out and black labeled that combination of drugs mm-hmm. because of sudden... Respiratory arrest. Yeah, and there were a lot of people using that combination of drugs at the time. And I'm not sure if they still do. I hope not. Uh, The special prosecutions division in your uh, you have a fraud unit and a special prosecutions uh, unit. What does your special prosecution division do?
0: Well, it varies. I mean, some of the things that we assigned to them, for example, related to uh, some of the fraud we saw happening in the unemployment insurance context during the during the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, in our prosecutions division uh, has limited jurisdiction, though. I mean, as a general matter, we can only prosecute um, crimes that happen relative to state matters, absent some form of conflict or referral to other agencies. We have some concurrent jurisdiction with some of the district attorneys, but they have first bite, frankly, at, at the most run-of-the-mill crimes you hear about. Um, but if there's a murder, for example, among prisoners. Mm -hmm. That's my case. Uh, If there's a state actor who who violates uh, state laws. They're, that's that's my jurisdiction. We have elder abuse uh, within my jurisdiction. We have financial crimes oftentimes in my jurisdiction, cyber crimes within my jurisdiction. Um, uh, we have children, exploit uh, child exploitation. Um, we have individuals who work in that area as well. So uh, it's limited. That sounds like a lot, but frankly, it's very limited relative mm-hmm. to what district attorneys do, which is essentially everything else. Right, right, right.
1: <laughs> if a district attorney declines uh, prosecution, do you have the dr- d- d- are you able to take a look and make a decision whether to prosecute? There
0: are statutes that allow me to uh, inquire with the district attorney or to move if a district attorney does not. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, that's your short answer.
1: What do you look forward to do? Uh, in your next term as Attorney General? Yeah, well, we have a lot of unfinished work to do. We've been doing great work, I think. And I
0: talked about my three C's, I've mentioned one. Uh, the second C I'll, I'll introduce to you is one that we call criminal justice and reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, criminal justice in the sense of knowing that we we have a responsibility to keep the community safe. Everyone wants to live in a community that's safe. Uh, it doesn't matter your, your, your race, your gender, we all want safe neighborhoods. And so uh, we focus on ensuring that we have laws that are gonna protect individuals um, in the community from those who would do them harm. Uh, Uh, But we also know that the criminal justice system hasn't always been fair to everybody, um, in particular communities in particular, right? And so uh, one of the proudest moments that I had was in the immediate aftermath uh, of George Floyd's murder I was able to bring together through the, uh, and that's one of the greatest powers of this office, to convene individuals. We brought together through a uh, a forum that I call the Justice and Injustice Panel to convene law enforcement, the ACLU, community organizations, the NAACP, uh, you know, you name it, churches. And we talked about the issues and figured out ways in which we could move beyond talking and trying to come to, come up with something practical, and action that we could do. And we came up with a number of bills that we were able to support, uh, two of which that I sponsored, Um, and that passed unanimously. And that's an important uh, notion here. Uh, in this day and age, you know, it's difficult to get everyone to agree on anything, Mm -hmm. let alone legislation like this. And so we were able to pass a law after George Floyd's murder that now authorizes my office to investigate police departments. It's called pattern and practice investigations, where Mm -hmm. we can investigate police departments who are alleged to be engaging in discriminatory or unlawful policing against particular communities or entities uh, or whatever the case may be. Uh, And again, that passed unanimously because we convened everybody around the table and talked about how we could do this practically. And my office has. Likewise, sub subjected to that same pattern and practice vis-a-vis the federal government. You know, that was one of the things he wrote into that legislation. And the second piece that I'll mention in the criminal justice context is that we were able to uh, respond um, and honor, unfortunately, Brianna Taylor, uh, who was murdered. Well, I shouldn't say murdered. My apologies. Who was killed uh, because of the execution of a um, no knock warrant on the wrong home. Right. Uh, and so I sponsored legislation that again passed unanimously that limits drastically the use of no knock warrants in our state. Uh, and, and that falls within the second C that I talked about criminal justice and reform. And then the third C, then I'll tender the mic back, back to you, sir. No, <laughs> uh,
1: this is, it's wonderful. It's
0: very interesting. Well, thank you. Well, the third C um, is constitutional and civil rights, the protection mm-hmm. of all of them, one through, I say 28. Some would argue, clearly, you don't know how many amendments around the Constitution cause only 27 but I say 28 because the Equal Rights Amendment, in my mind, has been ratified and is the 20th Amendment to our United States Constitution. Mm-hmm. That's the amendment that says that women are treated equally under our state, cons- under our federal Constitution, and it should be uh, um, recognized as such. And so, uh, while it is not yet uh, in our Constitution, per se, we are litigating that issue right now. Uh, m- m- myself with one of my colleagues uh, from Illinois, we had a colleague in Virginia before he unfortunately lost his reelection and the, his replacement. Uh, from the other party, withdrew himself from that litigation, but we are litigating that issue. But the the point I'm making is, every constitutional right is important to us, and we try to protect them all from vis a vis our citizens, and that includes the civil right, the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the best example I can provide to you in that regard is our protection of the uh, against the attacks of the on the integrity of our elections last election cycle. Uh, I, I'm proud of the work we did in defending my uh, my my colleague, uh, my client. Barbara Sagaski, who happens to be from the opposite party uh, that, that, that I'm in. Uh, but we worked together to ensure that the integrity of our elections were intact uh, and I'm proud of that we were able to put on a, a safe and fair and free election. Um, the last administration sued the state at least a half a dozen times and we prevailed. My office defeated every single one of those. Uh, again, because that falls within the sea of protecting civil and constitutional rights. So those are there as a focus that we've had and I want to continue those types of things on a going forward basis. Our priorities didn't change because COVID hit us, mm-hmm. although that's a fourth C, so to speak, that thrusts itself upon us. Right. Um, uh, but we have work yet to do, uh, and I look forward to continuing that work.
1: Well, uh, I've always been concerned about this fair treatment in the state of Nevada uh, by law enforcement and within the criminal justice system. Uh, it's interesting that Uh, You now have uh, jurisdiction to investigate. Uh, Have you um, opened any... I know you can't discuss specific investigations, but is that something that your office is currently pursuing?
0: Well, uh, you're right. I cannot... uh as a matter of policy, we don't confirm or deny the existence or non-existent of an investigation. What I can say is that our office is ready and prepared uh, and, and willing to put forth the work uh, that we now have the authority to do under this particular statute. Um, and so, you know, that, there, there we stand in that regard.
1: Well, I can tell you, when I started practicing, that was 35 years ago, uh, criminal defendants were not given the resources that the prosecutor's office had, mm-hmm. and they were always at a disadvantage. And I don't know how anybody can look at the... Um, uh, uh, rates of uh, criminal prosecutions and convictions uh, uh, are compared uh, on um, race and not conclude that disparate treatment occurs within the criminal justice system. And I just have never seen here in the state of Nevada uh, an effort to, uh, a sincere or legitimate effort to avoid that uh, disparity.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, dating back to my times in the state senate, I worked with colleagues on both sides of the aisle to improve our criminal justice system. Um, And and let me be clear, um, we have to support our law enforcement in this area. They have just as much right to go home in the evenings to their families as a rank and file citizen does. Uh, And in that regard, that's why I have what I call hit, what I say is hit the green button when it comes to providing opportunities for them to take care of themselves, whether it's through collective bargaining, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's through uh, protecting their pensions, Mm -hmm. Whether it's providing more cops uh, here in the, in the corridor um, or whether it's uh, providing new legislation that I sponsor that protects them from those who would target them because they are law enforcement. Uh, if an individual is convicted for doing that, they will essentially be um, 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 punished tantamount to a hate crime. Right. Uh, and that's legislation that I sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do that because we have to appreciate and recognize the importance of law enforcement. But the flip side is also true accountability is important. And I'm pr- and I'm proud to say that law enforcement agrees in that regard that accountability is important. They'll be the first to tell you that they don't want one bad apple to spoil the bunch. And so I've worked hand in hand with them to continue improving our system.
1: Well, uh, I wasn't necessarily accusing uh, law enforcement. Sure. The, I, I wasn't suggesting you were. I'm, yeah. I just wanted to make uh, that a point. And I appreciate it. but. Uh, When you do take a look at how uh, prosecutions, the the result of prosecutions over a a long period of time, uh, the fact that uh, 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 certain groups of individuals suffer higher conviction rates than white members of our community, uh, it's an indication there's a a systemic problem. Uh, And uh, so I hope that uh, your work in the Attorney General's office Uh, uh, helps resolve that. Because, you know, uh, 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 criminal, all justice, whether it's civil or criminal, uh, makes for a better uh, society. Absolutely. Uh, And it's necessary for our um, republic to work. Uh, Absolutely.
0: The community needs to be able to trust the system. Um, and it's difficult to trust the system when uh, facts that you've just, uh, you know, recited, for example, um, are extant. And so what we have to do is to figure out ways to augment trust where it already exists, to restore it where it's been diminished, and to create it where it's never existed in the first place. And that's part of what I try to do in the Office of Attorney General as the top law enforcement officer in the state.
1: Do you see um, what your future is going to be or uh, over your next term um, as— uh, uh, one of further development in in the areas that you've outlined?
0: Certainly, and and those are non-exhaustive to be sure, right? Right. That's a non-exhaustive list of the work that we do, and that we will continue to do. Um, The first two years of my of my uh, tenure, frankly, were um, also against the federal government, where we sued the last administration for overreach. You know, states' rights issues, um, um, procedural issues. They wanted to change the rules without following the processes, and um, uh, you know, so sure. I mean, it just depends on what (laughs) COVID again. COVID is an example of us having to learn how to operate through that. Um, under different circumstances and and I anticipate uh, you know new challenges in my next term as well
1: you know uh, I have to tell you the uh, the the covid uh, pandemic uh, seems to have just uh, put disrupted a lot uh, just everybody's day-to-day life the activities of government also and it seems that uh, government is beginning to start functioning I know uh, I do litigation and it's <laughs> You know, the district courts literally shut down for a year, yeah. uh, if not more, and we're just starting to get back up and running. Uh, it's, been, it's been really, uh, uh, I, I guess the best way to put it, painful trying to catch up, and uh, uh, I, I'm sure that your office has had, had to manage itself around uh, the starts and stops mm-hmm. uh, and getting back into uh, litigation. Your consumer protection uh, uh, department, uh, it, it is covers more than just the opioid. Uh, what other areas does consumer protection? Um, anything that affects the consumer,
0: you can frankly fold it into the consumer protection division. So um, we have an antitrust component um, in, in our office that focuses on that. We also have um, you know agencies within or um, practices within the consumer protection division that look at uh, price gouging, for example, during emergencies, and that's a law that I was able to pass this last legislative session. Uh, you know, telecommunications issues, you name it. I mean, anything that uh, that affects a consumer, uh, my consumer protection division uh, could ostensibly uh, get engaged.
1: It seems like uh, unfair trade practices is really the sword that uh, a, a lot of um, agencies are using, or attorney generals are using to. Um, uh, try to keep uh, even playing field out in consumer uh, areas. Uh, Do you find that to be true? Oh yeah,
0: I mean, deceptive trade practices, yes. unfair trade practices, um, certainly uh, are are powerful tools that we have to protect our consumers from unscrupulous business practices. Uh, you know, before I got into office, you saw our consumer protection division bring in settlement funds from a uh, from Volkswagen, for example, mm-hmm. for selling vehicles that had faulty emissions uh, <laughs> reports. Right? right? It's that it's that form of uh, circumstance that that could also. Give rise to jurisdiction within that division, Uh, and and we cooperate and coordinate with other attorneys general around the nation. Oftentimes, to come together and do uh, multi-jurisdictional, multi-district litigation Mm -hmm. um, uh, around consumer protection issues. Opioids is a a prime example of that regard. We have several attorneys general on both sides of the aisle working together uh, in this in this issue, on this issue. Pardon me.
1: One last matter. I'd like to uh, announce that on May 3rd, uh, there'll be a fundraiser for your campaign at the uh, Sterling Club. Um, my uh, firm has the honor of sponsoring that. Uh, so if any listener is interested in meeting Attorney General Ford uh, in person, and uh, uh, you are welcome to join us on May 3rd at the Sterling Club. You can... Uh, go on the uh, website and do your RSVP. It's uh, important to uh, support our local candidate. Well, not our local, our state candidate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by the way, uh, I, I, uh, you are the first uh, uh, black attorney general uh, and first black individual to hold a state office. I am. You?
0: Well, a statewide constitutional office. You That's know, right. all due respect uh, to um, uh, former chief justice. Um, Michael Douglas, who who won at the Supreme Court level. But I'm the first to hold a constitutional office, and um, it's been the honor of a lifetime to represent in that regard.
1: It is uh, very nice to have you here, and I um, don't know how to thank you enough for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. I know how busy you are managing your office, doing your litigation, and also campaigning. So uh, it's been wonderful. Um, I look forward to seeing you again on May 3rd. Um, And... um, Uh, You have my uh, support uh, in the upcoming election, and I'm sure uh, you're going to do wonderful.
0: Well, Les, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you to your listeners for, for tuning in.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome.